0: It's time for Running Building the Game, the building game, the game with, with Jason and Friends, for the tabletop the game design, the, game, the with fun and friends. it's at the end of the episode,
1: that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, July 31st, and you're listening at episode 583. As always, I am your host, Jason. Here today, joined by many, many time returning guests, um, though not at the top of the leaderboard yet, and that is Roscoe Shock. Hey Roscoe. Hey Jason, how's it going? Good, good. To be I, fair, oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say to be fair, the only reason I, I agreed to come on was because my numbers are getting pretty low <laughs> and like I gotta try to get back in the top ten, so we just gotta juice these numbers up. <laughs>
1: you know it's it's funny because when i went through and for listeners if you're in the discord you'd see it but every once in a while i post kind of like a i joke that it's a leaderboard it's just a list of number of episodes people have been on um and um i some people i was shocked that the numbers were not higher like i just feel like you've been on like a thousand episodes because i talk to you a lot so like yeah, right. you know when i'm like oh he hasn't been on as many as i thought he had but um but yeah, we're going to fix that. We're going to get those numbers up. And uh, it was funny because Clarence was like, it's crazy that just like, you know, putting this list up motivates people to want to be guests on the show. And I said, it's it's almost like somebody thought of that and then published the list.
0: <laughs> I made the <laughs> list for
1: myself, but I was like, I bet if I put this out there, people would be like, hey, I, uh, I want to do more episodes. <laughs> and it worked. Um yeah. Though I do have somebody, Brian Veney, is attempting to steal the podcast from me to uh, to do like a 36 episode thing to get ahead of Julio. So, yes. <laughs> right. But, he uh, said,
0: how to become a great game designer in 36 <laughs> steps. You know, like there's yeah. like, post on Twitter, whatever, like, I'll teach you how to be an expert. You just got to pay me a thousand dollars. And in 36 short lessons, I'll teach you everything.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And the 36 short lessons are make a thing and tell people that you can teach them how to make all this money
0: and then sell that
1: idea of how to make money. Uh, So we were just talking before we started recording about uh, Gen Con prep and you are not going to Gen Con, which makes me sad. Uh, you have good reasons not to go, but it makes me sad because I like to see you there. So I'll have to see you at PAX Unplugged. I'm assuming you'll be at PAX Unplugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, for that's sure. super yeah. close to you. That's like you could just walk there. That's not true, but it's a lot closer than I am. <laughs> I can I take have, the train. Yeah, I have so. to fly. Oh, yeah, you take the train and that's really convenient. You don't even have to drive. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my Gen Con prep has been suboptimal uh, at the least. Um. So as I mentioned to listeners before, my computer died a couple weeks ago, uh, just before I went on like a two week vacation, um, which is the best time for it to die, because then I couldn't order the new computer because I needed it. I, I didn't want it to just show up when I wasn't there. So I finally scheduled to show up when somebody would be there, got it shipped in, got it loaded up uh, just in time for my 3D printer to die. Uh, I spent a couple hours. Uh, it basically it leaked filament into this like what they call the hot end. Um, which is a funny name for something. Um, And so uh, it leaked into there and basically filament when it melts, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an X-Men two or three. I don't remember which one it was when they explained to Wolverine, like adamantium, the trick is to keep it liquefied because once it hardens uh, it's not going anywhere. And so it like literally coated the entire like bottom part of this hot end thing of the printer and you can heat it up to melt it off. But once it started leaking that way, it's just going to continue. So I had to figure out how to get all the replacement parts, which luckily were like less than a hundred bucks. So that's very thankful for that because it could have been more. Um, But I'm hoping to get that before Gen Con to assemble it. Cause one of my games, everything is 3d printed in the game, like literally everything. And I've had some awesome people offer to 3d print it, but it's, it's such a manual process that after it's printed, I have to like, it's for perfectly parceled. I have to like drill holes in things and make these pegs fit. It's stupid. It's, I should have like, like when I told Emily, she was like, oh, I just assumed that the holes were part of the prints. And I was like, yeah, that would be real smart. But um, I don't know how to do that uh, on the, on the molds that we, or the, the, um, the shapes that we made. So it's a whole stupid process, and uh, I'm hoping to get that in time. But I've got um, some meetings set up, which I'm excited about. But I have now, as of today, I have three games ready to go out of seven that I'm taking. So, um, and that's because so I set up some pitches, but only one of the pitches did I actually set it up with a specific game. The rest of them, I had a cool company reach out to me and say, "Hey." you're on our list of people that we talked to. Like, would you like to set up some time to show us some stuff? And I said, yeah. I mean, I said yes without even knowing what I was going to show them because like, I know that I have something to show them. So, so yeah. So I've got opposite is opposite done. I've brought compulsed back out. I'm really excited to try that again. And then I'm actually going to show around water balloon washout a little bit. I've talked about bringing that back to life in another format, but I'm actually going to show it to some publishers. Um, kind of as a core thing, like that could become something a little different. Um, I've got some ideas for that and I own everything about it and any publisher would do new art and stuff like that and possibly retheme it. Um, but the core system is really fun. And uh, so I'm going to show that with a couple of the publishers that I'm showing some other stuff to just as a, as a little add on of like, Oh, I've also got this. Um, and then I've got half Cadabra, um, and I'm just pulling out some old prototypes that I haven't done much with in a while to bring and try to get some testing on and just show them around a bit. So yeah, yeah. that's what's going on. <clears throat>
0: yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, yeah. I didn't know you were, were uh, kind of shopping water balloon around again. Um, well, I know it's been kind of sitting, but that'd be cool to kind of like get it back out there in a new, a new like second edition re re uh, reimagining or something of it would be cool. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, so it is still consistently the game. I get the most positive feedback about all these years later. Families just super dig it, and it's got some some major flaws that could be corrected by removing a couple cards, like the card balancing. Not like the cards aren't too powerful, but my distribution is off. Like there are too many of certain cards that are good that make the game go longer than it should. Um, so just with a little rebalancing of that, I think I could actually make it be even better than what I enjoy it as now. Um, there are some cards that I reduce the numbers when I play it with my kids and, um, and that makes a pretty good difference. So, um, so yeah, I've talked about a little bit in the discord and I I don't know if we'll do this or not, but if I can't find someone who's interested in doing it, I've talked about, um, next year will be the 10 year anniversary of the game coming out. Uh, so I talked a little bit about the idea of, um, just redoing it myself and putting it back out there, doing another Kickstarter doing all new art, changing up the rules, kind of doing a second edition of it just for fun, um, do a small print run of it. Um, Again, just because the feedback on it's always been super solid. And um, yeah, and I think it'd be a cool thing to do. So that's what's going on with me. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I I think, you know, sometimes
0: in the hobby, you know, we're pretty, um, you know, like we're so, used to everything being gamified and some of these more complex games and stuff like that. And it's always interesting to talk to people who are, you know, more on the mass market side or have only kind of played the Hasbro, Milton Bradley kind of games. And, you know, like, it, it's interesting to see the stuff on Twitter posts. Well, Twitter still exists anymore, but um, <laughs> where um, the people are posting about like talking to the family and stuff like that. And, you know, the recurring thing of like, People just really don't want to learn rules. They don't want to learn some complicated thing. They just want to like sit down, start playing within two or three minutes, um, you know, and have a lot of fun, have mm-hmm. some laughter. And you know, if it's fun, you know, if it's short, play again. If it's you know, if it's a little bit longer, then you know, maybe play again next time. You know, you see, it's interesting to really uh, see um, Eric Lang and some of his posts in the past, say six months, nine months. Um, yeah, right. So, You know, going from stuff like Blood Rage and all these like super, you know, know, miniatures and all these rules, combat systems and these super complicated things. Um, And then to see him doing stuff for um, not just for for um, the Exploding Kids stuff, but like they're like actually targeting a kid's line, like literally just for like young kids. And to to see him like and, and talk about like the struggle to keep making it even simpler You know, and it's like you think you've made it simple and it's just not simple enough and like get it even simpler. Right. And so, you know, I I think we lose sight of that sometimes. We're like, oh, that's, you know, that's Gateway or that's family or whatever. But, you know, for a lot of people who aren't buying 100 games a year, um, you know, who buy one and just like they want to have the five games on the shelf and they pick which one and they just sit down and have fun. Like that's Mm -hmm. what they want to do. So, you know, stuff like your your water water balloon game, I think that like we underestimate how much. People really enjoy those kind of games where they can just like absolutely have some fun have some fun, have some laughs, um, and then do something else, you know, watch, watch a show together or have dinner or whatever. So it's cool to, it's cool to uh to see that kind of come back. So
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree with you. And I um I do think we underestimate those games. And it is funny because, you know, it was you are know, like Eric Lang and, and all those games he used to make, even the games he's makes with miniatures now, like think of things like Marvel United are dead simple compared to the old games he used to work on, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And now he's getting it even more and more simplified. and I, I love that. I think that's really cool. Um, and I like to see the industry progressing that way towards accessibility, right? And replayability and family fun. And uh, I think that's cool. I think it's cool to see mainstream companies who w- you wouldn't normally expect doing that, focusing on that. I think it's neat.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's also how we get more people into the hobby side to, you know, to, um, to try some of these a little bit more complex or more strategic games is like, first they have to like, kind of like get their fill of the lighter stuff, right. The, the simpler stuff, right. You have to like, yeah. Work your way up a little bit and, and, you
1: know, want to kind of dive into the deep end. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So speaking of games that are familiar, and not too complicated it's funny you should mention that because you brought a topic that's about games that are familiar and not too complicated at least i hopefully that i'm speaking correctly when i say that
0: <laughs> well yeah actually i mean i i agree with you but i think it's probably a matter of opinion right some people disagree um but i, I think that uh generally speaking i would agree with that statement so right right yeah so anyway we um I can introduce the topic. It's fine. I wasn't sure if you wanted to, but um, oh no! Sorry, we'll talk-
1: no. You go ahead. I was trying to give you the the intro for no, no, it, to no, just no. jump always, in there.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry for ruining your segue. Um, I've, so- I've ruined <laughs> more segues than anyone. So <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk today um, a little bit about trick taking games, and it's really an interesting um, genre subgenre of card games writ large, and. Um, it's actually, you know, interesting to see there's a lot of, I don't know if say it's a renaissance, but there's a lot of kind of focus on trick-taking games. Um, right now, there's a lot of uh, smaller publishers who are putting out a lot, even some of the bigger ones, mm-hmm. uh, trying to have a trick-taking game or two uh, in their lineup. You know, it's like Roll and rights two or three years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. right? And funny enough,
1: the divisiveness of trick-taking games is not unlike the divisiveness of Roland and <laughs> when they first came out there were a lot of people that were really down on rolling rights when they first came out for sure. And yeah, but it's also the thing, the thing that Jason was talking about where
0: um, if we think about trick taking games, um, some of us uh, probably more so if you live in the Midwest, uh, (laughs) than other places kind of grew up on trick taking games. Right. And so whether that's um, your classic ones like spades or hearts or euchre Mm -hmm. or something like that, peanut. Um, Pinochle, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so we just want to kind of talk about them a little bit uh, across a couple of things. One, um, all the variation that's kind of possible. Even now, we're just starting to scratch the surface of um, what has or hasn't been done. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's still plenty of space for innovation. Um, A little bit why um, they're a little bit divisive, I think is something we can talk about a little bit. Um, Why some people love them, why some people hate them. And um, yeah, and, and just a little bit of a primer. I think there's some stuff where um, if you're not familiar um, if, as a designer, or even a, just a, somebody who enjoys games, I think it, if you haven't kind of grown up with them, then some of the terms and some of the different types um, may not really like make sense to you, or may not really have have heard about them and stuff like that. So I just want to kind of give a little bit of a primer on that as well. just. Um, at least as a jumping off point to find a better source than whatever I'm going to say. But mm-hmm. uh, at least we can kind of like hit the broad strokes uh, and give a little bit of an overview of like, hey, here's the different kind of things that are out there and then see, uh, you know, investigate what you might like and see, you know, if you wanted to try to design one or something like that.
1: Right, right. In, in the And um, they absolutely are so divisive for all those reasons that one of the things that really jumps out at me that you said there was that if you I think we take for granted how much trick taking games when you when you grow up playing them, how much they make sense to you, right? And that when you first introduce a trick taker to somebody who's never played one, um, it can feel a little weird, right? I mean, I think I think the design of trick taker is more than uh, it's a lot like Roland writes you're right, but like is that we just bank on that familiarity right of like well you know how trick takers work right or it's like a trick taker but it's different in this way right and so you're you're absolutely right that when we when we bank on that like i think that it's uh it can do a disservice to new players absolutely and kind of scare them away you know
0: yeah and th- that's something we get into that part of it um but yeah i think I-, I was trying to think like what's a good analogy of another kind of game where the first time you're presented with one, you're like, I just can't even, What? What? what is this? Like, what am I supposed to do, right? And I think right, that's right. the spot where, the divisiveness where some people feel a little lost. Again, like mm-hmm. you said, if, you, if you've if you been playing them since you were eight or 10 years old, then like, obviously it's like, it's a no brainer. Uh, but some of it, it's like, do you want to take the time to kind of learn structurally how they work? Because then it's right, like, right. not that hard. It's, it's just a matter of like, different lingo there's different things there's different uh things you have to understand so the goals are a little bit uh more different so cool um anything else you want to say right at the top or i was going to kind of do a little bit of a brief overview of like what all these terms and types and things mean unless you have something Yeah no go there. for it go for it yeah <clears throat> okay so um we're not going to read off wikipedia i'm just going to free <laughs> <laughs> free uh freehand this, but um you know so trick taking historically right the the classic ones that we talked about like spades hearts bridge euchre um pinochle um they're card based games right and some of them are mostly the classic ones are all cards right there's nothing else and usually um everyone's dealt a hand of cards right and we're talking the standard fifty two card deck there's four mm-hmm. suits two to two to ace kind of thing. And the the fundamental thing that most trick takers, uh, and there's some people who disagree a little bit, and we'll talk about these different types, is um, everyone has a, a hand of cards. And then there's some rules and variants around that stuff. But generally what happens is some someone somehow is given the priority to lay a card down. So mm-hmm. they take a single mm-hmm. card from their hand and they play it face down in front of them onto the table. So let's say it's a 10 of spades. Now, the other players, in turn order... But you said face also, down. Face up. You're right. I said okay. face down. <laughs> I was like,
1: wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm yeah. like thinking back to games. So I'm like, am
0: I confused? No, that's just my brain's going faster than my <laughs> mouth. Um, so you take a card from your hand, which are hidden, and you play one face up in front of you. Right. So it's a tennis beads. Uh, so everyone can see you played the tennis beads. And mm-hmm. then, generally speaking, in a classic trick taker, um, the person to your left will lay a card from their hand. And there's some rules about what you have to lay. But generally each person in turn will play one card, one card only. Mm-hmm. And then there's some rules to determine who won. So like even thinking back to like um grade school, right? You have a standard deck and you played war. Right. Yeah, so it's a yep. little bit like war but with more people, right?
1: Right, right. You each where sometimes a jack yeah, might yeah. be better than an ace or a king.
0: Right, right. right. Two's better, right? So, like in war, you just both flip over a card. Whoever has the higher number wins, right? So, you know, trick takers can have lots of different rules about who wins, but generally speaking, it's like the higher the card, the better, right? And so, um, there's been all these variations and things that have evolved over time. Like a, a lot of this trick-taking stuff um, kind of became more formalized in, in France and, and in Europe in the 1600s, 1700s, and, and some of those timeframes um so they started to have more conventions right and so the the thing that a lot of the standard trick takers we play like you would see in spades or hearts or bridge or something like that is if i lay the 10 of spades and jason's next he must lay a spade right if he has one right so he can lay any number he could lay a two or he could lay an ace but he must follow suit right so he must follow the suit that i had laid right if possible right and so that that's Generally, it's it's interesting because you hear that all the time in, in in TV shows and and whatever else, like talking about follow suit, right? Obviously, comes right, right, right. Teams. So, following suit, something that we we talk about and the standard ones have. But another thing that got introduced sometime in the 1700s, and it's interesting. If you want to know more about this and and read more eloquent speaking and writing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving here. Uh, there's a man, there's a guy on, on uh, Twitter um, named Dan Throw or Thoreau, sorry from pronouncing it right uh, wrong he has a site called space biff and he basically like just reviews games and stuff like that but recently he's been on a trick taking uh kind of like uh fiesta and like nothing but trick takers is like, mm-hmm. all this stuff and he's he gives a much big fuller history of things like this right so in a, in a normal trick taker like spades right so you have to follow suit let's say i didn't lay his tennis spades i laid a two of hearts jason lays a three of hearts if somebody doesn't have hearts in spades, there's a Trump suit. And in spades, it just happens to always be Trump, right? And so Trump is just a suit that's better than all the other suits, right? So a two of spades is better than the ace of hearts uh, if they all get played into the same trick, right? And so, but normally when the in these classic trick takers, the thing that matters most is the count of the number of tricks, right? So a trick is always one card from each person. You take that, whoever won, they stack it to the side. That's one trick. And that trick is kind of the unit of points. Mm -hmm. So instead of counting four cards, you just say one trick. Um, And then usually whoever wins, uh, and I'll say usually a lot because uh, that's the whole point of the the trick taking stuff that's happening these days is, well, what about if we didn't do X? What if we tried something else? Right. What if we tried some new innovation or, or some new twist? Right. So normally whoever wins the trick starts the next one. And then you just continue until nobody has any cards left in their hand. And then there's some scoring. Um, so that, that's kind of the classic thing you'll see in spades. Um, Hearts is a little bit different, but in bridge for sure. And Uyghur is a little bit different, the hand sizes, and they kind of do half at a time and things like that. But that's just generally the structure. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think one of the things we're starting to see is trick takers come out that are starting to break some of these rules. Um something as simple as you must follow suit to trick takers um, where you must not follow suit. Right. Right. So if I lay a heart, everyone else can't lay a heart unless they can't not lay a heart. Right. Or something else is laying. So if I lay a heart and Jason lays a spade, the next person can't lay a heart or a spade. Right. So you must not continue to follow suit. And so, you know, we're starting to see some of this like breaking of these classic rules of these, you know, these ones that have been around for decades or centuries. Uh, you know. Right, right.
1: A long dang time. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> right. The ones that we grew up playing. Right. I don't know about you, Jason, but I started playing, it was my dad's favorite game, but I started playing double deck Pinochle when I was 10. So, um, wow. it always, it obviously gets, uh, get a long history of playing playing these games so right
1: yeah i was playing euchre probably by the time i was 10 i didn't start playing Pinnacle till i was in college because it just it was something that like my grandparents played with my parents and they were like real serious about it so like right. no kids allowed um, <laughs> but i i played a ton of euchre growing up and then i played it you know we would. It was very common for workplaces where I had in Michigan that we would have euchre tournaments, like on lunch. You know, like that was a yeah, thing, yeah. like an organized euchre tournament a couple times a year because everyone knows how to play. You know, and the, the thing yeah. is about that kind of thing though is literally because there's so many variations of just the card game euchre that you would have to have a list of the standards with which you were playing by for that tournament. You know, like. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, like, cause there are so many house rules that people know so much. It's like the, it's like the, um, free parking and monopoly. Like, Oh, you get money for that. False. As Chris Mischel will tell you, that's a lie. Um, and the game is better if you don't do it. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, there's, there's just so many variations of just one game, but yeah, it is just ingrained into our minds as Midwesterners so young. I mean, I know you're not a Midwesterner, but you're, yeah east coast close enough whatever
0: <laughs> i'm honoring so <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing too that you'll hear a lot of people talking about uh in terms of related games um are two types of games um referred to as climbers and shedders and so i just I just want to mention what that is so um, some people will say they are trick takers I, I i disagree i don't think they're trick takers because they don't have the fundamental concept of a trick but they're similar in the sense that usually you get dealt a whole deck of cards split among all the players. And the goal is you continue until nobody has cards in their hands or at least one person. Right. So in a a normal trick taker, that's what happens, but that's not really the goal, right? The goal is the tricks. Um, But Mm -hmm. in a, in a climber or shedder, um, it's similar, but it's not exactly the same. So I'm going to like say something that's going to sound ridiculous, but like we've all been playing a shedder since we, have been four or five years old, right? Because Uno is a shatter.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was to say right. So
0: we've been playing Uno. The rule is just it, it's different, right? You don't have to follow suit, but you have to follow color, you have to follow number, mm-hmm. and you keep going around until somebody sheds all their hand. I mean, that's all it means. Shedding just means until yeah. somebody's hand is yeah. empty. Yep. And there's rules. You have a hand of cards about what you can play based on what's already been played, and you go one at a time, right? One card per person, mm-hmm. and then eventually someone. It sheds all their cards and they're the winner. Right. So it's I can see why people have them in similar discussions around trick takers, because it's very similar. A lot of the mechanisms, like I said, you shuffle up, you deal it all out, you take turns playing a card, there's rules about what you can or can't play. Right. right. But the the point is not tricks. So to me, like they're not technically trick takers. And I say that because I, I think when you're thinking about designing a trick taker or a climber or a shedder. Like, you have to understand the differences because um, you have to kind of know what the expectations of people are if you say this is a climbing game or a shedding game. So uh, for climbers, um, climbers are usually inherently shedders as well, but they usually have a different specific rule about what you can lay, right? And so instead of like an uno where you must match, climbers, um, like Scout's a climber, um, or we used to play... In high school, a-hole, or president, or scum, or emperor—I mean, there has a thousand names and a thousand mm-hmm. variations. Where twos are the best, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay, yeah, um, yeah.
0: And so, in a climber, it just—it's if you've played any of the games. If you're not, I'll, just, I'll just describe it here. If I play a five, Jason can't play a three. He must play something that's equal or higher. So he could play a right, five, right, or he right. could play a ten, or he could play an eight. It doesn't matter. If I play two fives then he has to play a pair that's higher than five. So he could play right, two sixes right. or two Kings. doesn't really matter.
1: And, and that's so a whole game like is, BS would be a climber, except for it's a bluffing climber, correct? Um,
0: that's an interesting question. Um, I think it's similar. I, the only reason I wouldn't say it's a climber is because that one has the extra restriction of forcing. You. So it's not just a matter of playing higher. You must play exactly one higher. And,
1: um, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point.
0: And and the whole thing with the bluffing about the cards being face down, like I spoke earlier, in most climbers, the cards are always face up. Oh, are they? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. You you see what you must climb. Like, I don't know if you've played Scout or the other one. I keep
1: hearing it's great, and I'm sure we would love it, but I, I gotta get it at some point.
0: I think it's good. I bounced off of it personally, but everyone tells me I'm wrong. But uh, I just don't think there's enough decisions in it. But anyway, leaving that aside, climbers is generally a shedder where each person's next thing, instead of Uno where they must match, they must be higher. That's the general rule, right? And so you're still trying to get to the point where um, you get rid of all your cards. And in general, most climbers, when you get to a point where nobody can go higher, where nobody wants to go higher, then um essentially that ends that part like you win it so you, those cards go away they're out of the game and then you get to lead a new thing right so mm-hmm. you you win with like an ace you clear this whole pile of cards that are just gone they've all been shed and then you lead a three right because the three can't climb on very much right so you want to get rid of that three and then it starts to climb up again right so you your, your single threes and fours are really tough to get rid of because you know the um they're pretty low in the deck, right? So that's generally a climber, which is a, just a different variation on shedding where you must kind of go higher and kind of match what's already there mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. types or count. Um. So anyway, those are kind of like some adjacent things there. Um, we, we talked a little bit about um, some differences. So let's talk about a couple other things that can kind of like functionally be different in trick takers, right? So we talked about spades. So spades is a pretty... Um, classic and basic trick taker Mm -hmm. right so it it has a trump suit which we talked about if you lay trump um, versus some other suit uh, the trump suit is just always better right so the two of spades is better than the ace of hearts Um, trump uh, spades also has um, a bidding element right so it's usually played as teams that's the other thing that that's frequent some trump trick takers are kind of team-based Cross the table partnerships, 2v2. Um, and then there's other ones that are kind of more everybody for themselves. Um, figure it out. Um, so spades as a bidding. You count your tricks. You see if you made your contract, what you bid or not, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty just similar in that sense. Uh, so is you here. Um There's other trick takers um, where you still take tricks. There's still one card per person and somebody wins the trick and you collect the cards where the tricks themselves are not the thing that scores points, right? So Hearts is a great example of this. So Hearts is a game where every card in the Heart suit is actually poison. It's negative points. In Hearts, it does not matter how many tricks you take. It matters what's in the tricks you take.
1: Right, right.
0: So in in Hearts, you're generally trying to avoid tricks. You're not trying to win them. So that's a little bit of a change for most people. Um, And you lose points, right? you want to end up with a, the least negative score, right? So right, right. For hearts. But you're trying to, to do that. So there's just a, a difference there in that it's not the number of tricks you take that does not matter in hearts. It's what's in the tricks, right? And so I'm not going to explain the whole play of, of hearts and how everything works, but the queen of spades is also factors in as a way to kind of like offset your negatives by getting all of them and th- and stuff like that. But in the in well, the in case.
1: They have interesting uh, rules like with hearts, like, you can't play until hearts are broken, right? So I can't play a heart. I can't lead with the heart until someone has to play a heart because they are short suited and they have to basically, they can't follow suit. So they play a heart. And once that happens, hearts are broken. And then I can play with any of them. And then games like hearts, some games like hearts also have these weird things like shoot the moon, where if you get every heart and the queen of spades, then suddenly everyone gets bad points, except for you. Um, which is, you know, ridiculously hard to do. And I've only seen it done a couple times, but like it's, um, yeah, Hearts is a good game. I haven't played Hearts in a long time. I should play Hearts again.
0: Yeah, and and so it's just interesting in a game like Hearts where, like I said, the the point is like, there's no bidding. Um, And actually the other thing with Hearts is it's not a partnership game. It's not 2v2. Everyone's for yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. it's normally played Mm -hmm. best with four players still, but um, everyone's on your own. And you're just trying to dump your hearts on someone else unsuspectingly when they can't, when they can't uh, can't control what they have in their hand. Exactly. Um, so, so just just to say that there are some trick takers where it's what's in the tricks that matter. There are also other trick takers. We were talking about pinochle before, so I mentioned this one, um, where there's other parts of the game that score you points that have nothing to do with the trick taking. So in pinochle, there's still bidding. It's generally played as a two v two partnership game. There's other ways to play it, but by and large, it's two v two mm-hmm. and there's a bidding there's a bidding sequence, right? And so you bid somebody wins the bid. they get normally in, in most of these games, including Pinochle, whoever wins the bid gets to pick what Trump's going to be. So Trump's not fixed like in spades, it's whatever the the people who bid the highest is, right? They get to choose. but the thing the thing with uh, Pinochle that's different. there's two kind of pieces that, that are different the, the the process of each hand has three steps, right? So the first is bidding. The second is what's called melding. And so what you do is oh, there's these, melding, there's, yes. there's this whole special set of rules <laughs> that usually you write it down because it's not really a strategic thing, but like you, you don't have to remember, where you get points for cards in your hand, right? And so the other thing that's interesting with Pinochle, you play with a different deck, more of, a, of the old French decks, and they are more like 9 to 8. So it's just 9, 10, Jack, Queen, King, Ace. And so Pinochle deck is... Nine to Ace in every suit twice. Um, so a lot of people play a standard pinochle. They usually play double deck, maybe without mm-hmm. the nines. And so there's in that case, the thing is that, that gets really weird is like there's four of every card. There's four aces of spades. Ace of spades is no longer this unique thing. There's four of them. Right. Uh, but anyway, back to the melding thing. So what happens in the melding? Just to ex- because of the deck uh, composition makes this a little bit more clear, you get points for things you have. Like if you have an Ace of every suit that's worth some number of points, right? Usually mm-hmm. 10, if I remember correctly. If you have two aces in every suit, that's worth 100. If you have a straight, in this case, it's a straight flush. Again, there's only there's four of every card, right? so 10 to ace times four for a double deck. If you have 10 jack, queen, king, ace, that's worth 15 points. If you have a twice, it's worth 150. <clears throat> there's the quintessential namesake, a Pinochle, which is the jack of diamonds, queen of spades each pair of those you have is worth more points, right? And so you have all these things that score points. And the way you score them points is like every player, all four players literally lay down part of their hand and and you count them all up and you write those down. And that goes against your bid. what you're bidding with how many points you're going to get in Pinnacle, which includes how much you can meld. Right, right. Um, now there's one little twist. If you don't take any tricks, your meld doesn't count, but that almost never happens. Um, so the point is, you um these this melding is kind of more about the variation of your hand but also it's interesting because in order to score the points you must lay them down which also tells yes all, four just players
1: say that. all the cards
0: could be almost all the i mean there's i've been played hands of pinochle in a double deck you maybe have 20 cards where 15 or 16 of your cards are on the table right so they, they know every card you have so yeah the trick-taking part gets a little bit weirder.
1: Well, and that's where a game like, just to cut in about Euchre is, you know, with, with a game like Euchre, you don't bid in Euchre. You you basically, when you call the suit, or call the trump suit in Euchre by picking up a card or by naming it, you are basically auto-bidding that you will take at least three of the five tricks, right? But with the Euchre deck, it's only 24 cards, and every player gets five Yeah. So that's 20. And then four cards are left out. So you don't know what cards everyone has. You just know what cards you have, but you also don't know if you have like the second highest card, you may have the highest card in play because the highest card may be off to the side, but you have no idea. So that's a really interesting, um, you know, that's a really interesting, uh, factor in the game. Um, so the idea that it's just crazy to me that in a game like Pinocchio, you're like, look at all my cards. <laughs> and then, whereas you have a game like Cribbage, for instance, um, which is not a trick taker, but where you're playing with Cribbage, which is an incredibly complex game. It reminds me of Pinochle with the melding. When you score, basically you play the game, you're trying to hit certain numbers. And then when it's done, then you reveal your cards and score more points for that. So it's really interesting to me that in Pinochle, it's done in reverse. It's been years since I played Pinnacle, so I, I honestly have forgotten a lot of the rules. I know a lot of the terms, but I forgot what melding was until you just said that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So some of this is, I'm just trying to highlight some of the more broad things that can kind of happen in these games. J- just to give a flavor right, for right. people who maybe haven't been exposed, right? So you do your melding, then everybody picks up their hands, and then you play a normal trick taker. Although there's a couple of, ver- uh, of things that are different in Pinnacle. So, yeah. Um, Again, the one thing that's weird in Pinnacle is there's four of every card in a double deck game. And so in Pinnacle, you must trump. So in, in something like Spades or Bridge or something like that, you, if you don't have the suit that's been called for, you can play something else. Uh, in Pinochle, you must lay trump. That's just the rule. The other thing that's interesting in Pinnacle is um, you must play higher. So it's one of the few trick takers I've played where you must win the trick if you can. Meaning, um, so the other thing that's Pinochle is the 10s high, which is the French deck. So it's ace, 10, king. Ace, 10, king, queen, jack. Sorry, my, head, my brain stopped
1: what for a second. Wh- yeah, why do they have to do that? I mean, well, euchre is the same way where the jack of Trump and the matching jack is are the two highest cards. But yeah, 10? 10 10? is not a high card. Come on. It's 10. Yeah, that comes from the French deck. But in any case, um,
0: if you if I lay a king and Jason has the ace, he must lay the ace. So you can force cards out of somebody else's hand um, by doing uh, by by playing certain cards that are low because you know somebody has to play higher. And in other games, you can throw a low card or, or some other suit. Like you, you don't have to trump, so You can that usually they call it throwing off. So if I yeah, leave yeah. spades or sorry, if I lead a a two of hearts and we're playing spades and Jason has no hearts, but he doesn't want to use his spades, which are his trump, he could like slay a diamond. So he's just throwing off some junk, right? Right, right. Some cards. But in Pinochle, you can't do that, right? So that's another difference. And Pinochle is another uh, game where the number of tricks doesn't matter. You don't stack them. You just put them in a pile. Because in Pinochle, once all the tricks are taken – The only thing that matters is how many aces, tens, and kings you have. You just get a point for each one. So it doesn't matter uh, if you take all the tricks and they all have queens and jacks and whatever in them, like they're worth nothing. If you take a single trick with four aces or four tens, then it's worth four points. So it's another one where it's what's in the trick, not the number of tricks itself that matter. Right. So like hearts, but the opposite. These are worth positive points. (laughs) so just to show a couple more things, one more thing, and then we'll talk a little about the divisiveness. divisiveness um, is, so I, I think the best trick taker is Bridge. And I'd rather play Bridge than anything. Um, I just don't have a partner to play with uh, in real life. Um, and the thing that makes Bridge so interesting is uh, there's a couple of things. So it's a standard deck. Um, so ace to two to ace, three suits, or four suits. Standard normal thing. It's usually again played in a two by two partnership. The thing with with bridge is um, it there's these generally very complicating bidding systems. So you don't and uh, spades and things like that. You're usually like allowed to kind of talk with your partner and you say things like, "Well, I think I could take three tricks," and Jason thinks he could take four tricks, so we think we can kind of take seven. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to kind of talk mm-hmm. like that. In bridge, uh, and generally I'm talking more like com- contract bridge, um, you can't say that. There's 35 bids you can make um, plus like a passing, and you have to bid one of those things. And you can't say anything else. You can't even, you know, if you play a high-level tournament, they put people in different rooms so that they can't control, like, their eyes or their winking or how fast or how slow they do it because you could convey a lot of information about your hand and so um
1: wait they put people they, in different rooms
0: yeah if you look at like a tournament uh even physical ones, so they used to do them in person um that's just there's just too much cheating actually is Whoa. they have this big diagonal board that they put between both sides of the table so you can see the only person you can see is your opponent uh and then the other priest, people are on the other side of a board that has a hole in the middle and you basically pass your cards through there so you can't do something to convey information to your partner. Wow. Um, yeah, people get a little bit too serious about it. I but guess the, so. Uh, the thing with Bridge is there's this bidding system and you have to bid ostensibly how many tricks you're going to take, but there's this bidding system where you have to bid higher and it has to go up these 35 bids, right? And so the really high ones are like basically the highest bid is you're going to take all 13 tricks, which obviously is very, very, very hard. You need a very specific hand for that. So a lot of 35 bids you could make are not even like usually available to you in, in a practical sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so you keep going around, you pass or you bid, and you almost always bid higher. And so what's developed over time is these complex bidding systems where somebody may say, make a bid like one heart. I'm not going to describe the whole bidding system. just going to explain briefly how complicated it is. I say one heart. If I'm the first person to bid and the first person to have a chance to bid, that means something. If you ask people who know yellow card or some other bidding system, they'll say, oh, one heart, that means this, right? It means you have five hearts, meaning 13 more points. You don't have this. You're less than 21, whatever. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Oh my gosh. But if Jason bid one club and then I bid one heart or one spade, whichever I said, I forget. doesn't matter. Then what my bid means is different because it's in the context of what Jason bid,
1: Right, right.
0: So every bid that comes before your bid is context of what your bid means. And the branching logic of of this stuff is like super, super complicated, right? Like I think to be able to play bridge at a decent level, like just have fun and like not sit there and say like, I literally don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. To learn the bidding system, you're probably talking 40 hours of study.
1: (laughs) Oh, Wow. I mean, wow. you, you could kind
0: of pretend and get in there and have a book that tells you what to do and stuff like that. But to actually feel comfortable, I think that's what you're looking at. It's wow. it's very complicated.
1: You could you could learn how to play Civilization, the board game, in that time,
0: <laughs> right? Some people may say I'm wrong about that, but I'll, I'll stick to it. But um, the the point is, like, it's that richness, that complication, like that's a lot of strategic depth. Mm -hmm. It's obviously not not very beginner friendly right it's not very approachable like you're you're saying like there's a big investment to get into this and so anyway you do your bidding and i want to talk about the one other thing about bridge that that's super interesting which makes it uh, the best game is (laughs) once somebody has has declared their bid and say like i end up bidding four spades don't matter what that means don't don't worry about it so jason is to my left he's on the other team and he he leads a card right so the declarer I declared four spades. Um, Jason, to my left, he's the opponent. He just leads a card. Let's say he leads king of diamonds, whatever. doesn't matter. So the person who's across from me, who's my um, partner in this game, they actually, once Jason leads the card, the first card for the first trick, uh, of which there's always 13, right? There's 13 tricks in a standard deck. They lay their entire hand down, face up on the table. They are now considered the dummy. And what happens is, as the declare, me, I have, I have been the four spades, I must play both hands. The dummy is literally not allowed to say anything. They're only allowed to do what I tell them to do. If I say play the queen of hearts, they play the queen of hearts. They're not allowed to touch the cards. They, they are literally a dummy. It's like, I must play both hands. Um, the interesting thing about this innovation that evolved over time out of whist and Bidwist and all these other things is everybody now at the table sees half the cards, right? I see my quarter and I see the half that my partner has. Jason to my left, he sees the quarter that he has. He sees the same quarter that my partner has, but he sees half the deck, right And same right. with a partner Jason's partner to my right, right? And so everyone knows. That every card they can't see is 50 50 in one of two people's hands. Right. 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 So if I don't have the the Queen of Hearts and my partner doesn't have the Queen of Hearts, well, then I know it's Jason or the other person. Like, so
1: how is it that you can't see the other person's cards? Wait. Well,
0: I don't see yours. I don't see yours. I see my cards and then the dummy. The dummy is face up for everybody. Oh. Like, literally, they face up on the table. You can see all 13 cards. So you can see your quarter and the dummy's quarter.
1: Okay. Your partner
0: can see their quarter and the dummy's quarter. And I see my quarter and the dummy's quarter. Okay. But we all see we all see half, but a different half, right?
1: Okay, I see, I see.
0: And so the, the, there's so much strategic depth in how you play because in a lot of cases, you have like, okay, well, where's the queen of hearts? Well, it's 50-50. Jason has it or the other person has it. Well, let's say I don't have the Queen of Hearts or the Jack of Hearts. So now where are the Queen and Jack of Hearts? Well, either Jason has both, the other person has both, or they have one of each in one of two ways, right? But there's mm-hmm. a statistical probability of like how you can attack that. So um, we're not going to get into anything more about Bridge. Um, it's a great game. Um, it's very hard to learn. Yeah, I think it's worth it, but it, it's obviously not very approachable. So... I think that's a great segue into, well, why do some people not like trick takers, right? And so, well, obviously, learning a bidding system that, in my opinion, I'm arguing to be pretty decent, you would need 40 hours of, of time spent. Mm-hmm. Well, who's no one's going to do that, right? Very few people are going to do that. I shouldn't say no one. I did it. Uh, and to be clear, I didn't learn to play bridge until I was in my 40s uh, in Boston. So I just decided I wanted to learn. So um, I was motivated to do so. Right, the, right. But the thing is, even for a simpler trick taker like spades, um, where the bidding is just like you and your partner kind of say, like, um, how many tricks I think I'm gonna get two, you think you're gonna get three, whatever. The thing we heard in the Discord was, because um, we had a kind of conversation the there the other the other month I forgot when it was about trick taking games, and people were like, well, the problem they have with it is like, okay, so they understand conceptually that a trick is just laying a card down. The thing is, like, you're now putting bidding in front of them, so they get a hand of 13 cards in spades, and you say, well, how many tricks can you take? And they're like, how the heck should I know?
1: Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> I,
0: bar- I barely understand what a trick is. Like, okay, so I have to lead uh, – I have to follow suit. So if you lay a, a diamond, I have to lay a diamond. Okay, And so, like, you can say, like, okay, well, just, but, like, you know, how many trumps do you have? How many aces? How many kings? Right, right. You know, like, you can develop and and give them some kind of sense, but they, like, they don't have any intuition about it, right? And so, I think that's the really big frustration for people. And I was thinking about this a second ago. Like, think about a bidding game. And and this happens a lot with certain bidding games, where on the very first turn in some bidding games, you're like, here's a lot of, of things to bid on. And you're like, okay, bid. But you've not, if you've never played the game before, how do you even evaluate right, right, right. That, that that lot to to know how much of your money you should bid? Like, should I like bid ten percent of the money I start with, or twenty, or you know, like I don't know how good this is. Like, right, I don't even right. have a sense of like the quality of this lot across the worst. Right, lot you're like I
1: bid ten percent. and Everybody's like, oh, it's yours. Gosh, that's awful. And you're like, oh, great, that's good.
0: <laughs> great, I already lost. Great, this is fun. Um, and so I think that that's the big, the big hurdle for, for a lot of people, for trick takers mm-hmm. is like, just this sense of like, well, I don't even know what, I don't even know how to, to reason about what I should, uh, or shouldn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's like a lot of other things, like sometimes you just have to kind of get experience with the bidding games, I think are similar in that sense. But I think that's also why some people really enjoy trick takers is because it combats that with a different thing, right? So some of it you have to kind of come into. let me back up. So I think the one thing is, like, if you write down the rules for spades, there's not that many rules, right? right it's a right. trick taker. You must follow suit. You bid some number of tricks at the beginning. At the end of the 13 tricks, you count it, and you either made the contract, you made the six that you made, or you bid, or you didn't, right? And then you mm-hmm. score some points. Like, the rules are very small. It's one sheet of paper. But I think the thing that gives these games their depth is the strategic variance of the cards, right? Each time you're dealt a card, hand of cards, it's always different. Even if it's similar, it's still different. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like the number of deals of a standard deck of cards to four players, you know, it's like you know, larger than the number of atoms in the universe, right? It's like influence. Right, right, right. Uh, every time you play a bridge hand, effectively, you're the first and last people to play that bridge hand right? Like that, that's just the way it is. Right, right, right. And so these trick takers generally, I think we're starting to move away from this and we can talk about why that's has some ups and downs, uh, pros and cons is the strategic depth is the variant of the cards, not the strategic depth of the rules, right? So the rule sets are very simple to learn. Right, right, right. And I think the thing that that gives them the people who enjoy them, it's because they enjoy exploring that space. Oh, what would I do with this hand? What would I do with that hand? Oh, this situation, whatever, whatever it may be. And the really, really nice thing um, about trick takers, which is why I think they're so hot right now, um, and a little bit with rolling rights, right? Because they have the same kind of like, there's the variance, you write some stuff down, play again, see what you get, what the cards come up different, the dice come up different, see what happens, is, um, you know, especially for some of the lighter stuff a hand of of spades especially as you're learning like it doesn't take that long right it's it's five or ten minutes like you were talking about i used to te- teach people that i worked with like bridge at lunch and we'd play five or six hands right like you can play probably 10 hands of your at lunch with people who know how to play oh right? yeah, you shuffle your deal, you take your tricks, you shuffle your deal. I mean, like, you can go really, really quickly. And so, like, you get these reps, right? And so that's the interesting part. That's the, the space to explore is it's really quick to play one hand. Even if you just want to try a hand on a new mm-hmm. kind of trick taker, um, like, it might only take five minutes, right? Like, once you learn those basic rules, and again, generally speaking, historically, they've been pretty light rules rules-wise in terms of mental load and things like that you're following suit, you're maybe laying trump, you're bidding, then that's it, right? And so you can play three, four, five hands, you know, in a half hour. Then take a game that's like some big heavy Euro, well, there's an hour and a half teach, and it takes three hours to play. And Mm -hmm. it's like, and and then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, man, I did so many things wrong. I don't even know what to try next time. (laughs) Well, you're talking another hour and a half to like get through. And that's a different strategic space for people to explore. But like, it's a bigger time commitment, right? You can always, right. you know, like you're saying, like with something like cribbage or whatever like that, you can play a hand in five minutes, right? Especially right, with like right. some computer or other automation, right? Um, and so I think that that's where the approachability is a little bit better in the sense of like the rule sets are light, um, bridge aside. Um, <laughs> and, but, and, but it's quick to play. And even if you do poorly, you get that ability to kind of like, oh, I see. I see what they did. I see what they did. Right. I see Mm -hmm. how she played this card and really screwed me over. Oh, I got you. And then, so like, that's why, you know, we grew up playing it. Even when we were young, like, even if we made mistakes or whatever, like we just had so many reps that when we see a new one, we have intuition about how it should work. Even if we don't know the specific rule set, we have a basic intuition of like how to value certain cards and and what the tricks are going to be
1: about. Right. So we can kind of, we can kind of go from there, but, Go ahead. I was going to say one of the interesting things about like a game like Euchre is because you said, you know how to value certain cards. Euchre, I think what makes that so unique is that you can get a hand of cards and you'll think this is either a very good hand or I'm going to be very disappointed because if I get a hand that's like jack of clubs, jack of spades, ace of clubs, king of clubs, and then some other card, it doesn't matter. I can be like, this hand is going to be amazing as long as clubs is Trump or it'll be okay if uh, spades is Trump. But if anything red is Trump, this hand is garbage. Right. Right. And so that is something interesting to me, like, you know, because in a game like Bridge, right, a good hand is a good hand right now. Granted, it matters what other people have. But like um, that variability is very, very much shines through in a game like Euchre. And I think that if a game like Euchre was longer that, that people would not keep playing it because it is so stinking disappointing when you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the, like I'm going to score all the points and then Nope, it's garbage, you know? Uh, Yeah. So anyways, that to me is something that stands out as that variability where it really stands out and shines in a good and bad way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, I mean, I've not played a lot of euchre. I think I understand the basics. And and although you don't really bid in euchre, you kind of do. Um,
1: well, I mean, yes, like... when you call this, when you call Trump, right? Um, you are effectively bidding that you will get three right. of five tricks or more, or you will lose. You get what's called set, and you lose two right. points, and it sucks. <laughs> and
0: you so totally i think played a ten thing. in
1: euchre, so right. And that's the thing, like
0: too, like with, like you're saying, like you don't have any of these things. Like you have all great cards in two suits. And you have the same thing in bridge, right? Like your hand is valuable if spades or hearts is trump, but it's awful if clubs or diamonds is trump, right? And that's right, what right. part of the bidding process usually resolves, right? So when you just get dealt a hand and it's crap, right? That's one thing that I don't really enjoy a spades is like, if you just get a hand with no aces and no spades, like you're just sitting there throwing discards every turn because you can't, like you have no ability to do anything. Your hand is just garbage and you didn't have that chance to bid or like, do anything interesting with it, right? You're just trying right, to, right. To, um, to do that. So that, that's definitely something to keep in mind. But yeah, I, I think, you know, for some people, I think if they just take the time to think about, like, these climbing games, these shedding games, like, you know, if they played Uno, obviously the Shedder, Scout, if you played that, enjoyed that, that's a climber, right? So it, it's a little bit similar of, like, if you enjoy Scout, then I think you also could could grow to join enjoy trick takers because it's the same thought process of like okay how do i kind of position my cards and value this hand and like what what set of cards am i going to need to be able to climb versus what's out there now and things like that and so it's that same card evaluation it just feels different and it just takes a while to it just takes some reps i think it's really as simple as that but i think that's the great thing with with a game like hearts or spades that are pretty simple in the rules is it's there's infinity computer programs and free ones on your phone yes that's and what I was just just too, yes. j- just play a couple rounds just play a couple hands there's probably tutorials and like you'll start to get the hang of it and you'll start to develop a little bit of intuition around um what a good hand is how to value cards just the same way you, you try to value cards in agricola you know you, you get a deck of cards and, and you have certain ones which ones are good or which ones you do right anytime you're drafting in seven wonders how do you know whether the yellows are good or not right well it's right. about playing right right you, you kind of build some sense of like okay blue strategy red strategy yellow strategy when you're playing seven wonders that didn't happen the first game right that's the strategic sport space to explore and it's a similar thing a trick taker um so yeah i i think that they will always remain contentious people will just be like they don't want to invest but i think it's really really worth it to do so well, um so the other thing I would,
1: Okay, good oh the I was just gonna say that the free app thing is a really good idea because um, here's the thing about classic card games they're classic for a reason, and whether or not you like them, there's so much you can learn from them as a designer like there's a reason people have been playing these games for so long, and you know they're so like you know just ingrained in our culture um because they're they have sticking power for one reason or another, so yeah, so I just I really um really encourage people to check those out for that reason if you're a designer whether or not you like them you're going to learn from them in a very very big way No, go ahead sorry
0: no i mean you're absolutely right and 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 just to 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 layer on top of that i think the one thing to remember too is like a lot of times with trick takers like any other kind of game right you want someone to sit down and play twilight imperium 4 with you like (laughs) it's going to be tough it's tough to find those six people right and so like if you learn how to play hearts or spades if you go someplace where people are playing card games or whatever, like you're going to find people who know how to play hearts and spades, right? Like it's not going to be hard to find people online or in person who know these games and are willing to sit down and play. Right. So that's, you have, you have the accessibility of, um, easy to find, uh, opponents or partners to to play your thing. Um, the one last thing I want to talk a little bit about before, um, we get towards the end here was just to talk a little bit about some of the innovation in the space that I've seen. Um, and just to kind of loop people in if they haven't really been following it. So we've been seeing a lot of, like I said, it's kind of a mini Renaissance or it's the hot trend. Um, like I said, a lot of publishers are putting out a, a trick taker or two. Obviously it's, it's also pretty easy because like usually you're talking 30, 40, 50, 60 cards in a box. for yeah, 20 right. bucks. Like, yeah, there's a reason
1: uh, they're played with normal decks of cards, right? <laughs>
0: Um, but, but even stand even, even custom ones, right? Like you know, I just mean like the, the
1: card count of like a standard, oh, yeah, deck yeah, of cards, yeah, yeah. right? You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. So like even if you throw a couple tokens in a box, like, you know, it's pretty easy to ma- make a profitable game for 20 bucks and get it out there, mm-hmm. um, and sell some copies. So, um, so one of the big ones that, that, uh, people may have heard of, and if not, um, you should probably check it out. is called the crew. And so one of the things the crew did was it kind of took a trick taker and, It said, well, I'm going to kind of marry it with a um, co-op, but with like missions, right? So whether you want to think about that more in like the Battlestar Galactica or some kind of like Avalon or resistance kind of state, but basically you get your cards and there's a mission and the mission is to get a certain composition uh, in a trick or to win a certain number of tricks or to lose a certain number of tricks a certain way, right? Just just any of the variations you could have about how to win or lose a trick or some number of tricks, right? And each of those is a mission. And then you're, you're intended to kind of progress through them. But it's interesting in the sense that, like, most trick takers are either free for all, uh, everyone's for themselves, or their 2v2 partnership, right? That's generally most of them are. And so it's interesting to see somebody kind of take um, – the trick-taking mechanism, and say like I'm just going to apply it to a co-op kind of mission-based game, and and have that be what it does, right? So there's the original crew, there's a second one. I forget what it's called, but um, they're both highly popular, done really well. People really, really seem to enjoy them. Um, I heard about one recently, um, which I think is called Inside Man or Inside Job. Yes, I, I, I forgot we'll about, about that is.
1: on the podcast. Actually, that was Tanner's game. Yeah
0: yeah so like that one brings in the social deduction, so that's great um and but th- you're also seeing it in euros right so there's um Brian Brew, which has a trick taking part, which is like not the main focus of the game, it's still a euro game, but it has this like mini game piece that is you know about resources and stuff like that that involves a trick taking mechanism, and I think we're starting to see a lot more trick takers have pull in some of the th- pieces from a more standard Euro, right? So there's one out there called um, cat in the box, which is um, kind of like a reference to Schrodinger's cat. Um, and so the, the thing that's interesting about that game is uh, you have cards and they're numbered, but they're not colored. They have no, they're white. And mm-hmm. so there's a board in the center where you keep track of which cards have been played. So when you play a three, you have to pick if it's red or yellow or blue. It has no inherent color until you actually play it, but then you must track that on the board. And so as you're trying to evaluate your hand, it becomes a lot more difficult because it's, you know, the value of your cards changes as people play the Mm. other numbers. Right. And so, and there's some like paradox, you know, two of the same, whatever kind of stuff that it gets into, which um, I think is interesting. It's, I think that game's a little too fiddly for me, but the, the whole point is it's interesting to think about a, a deck of cards where the numbers are there, but the color or the suit or however you want to think about it of the card is only when it's played, right. It's to be inferred later. Um, there's another, um, a lot of these really great trick takers are also coming out of Japan. I'm seeing a lot of, of uh, smaller publishers starting to like sign them and like bring them over here and, and kind of release them kind of like we were granted in the old days with like all the euros. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, they signed ones from over there and brought them here for to ticket distribution, but there's a lot of really great ones out there. This one's called, hopefully I said this right. No dice. Um, apologies if I pronounce it wrong. Don't hate me. Um, but it basically means leftover dice and it's a really clever, pro- uh, really clever concept. Sorry. Um, and, and the, basically the just is you have – it's a trick taker, but you have both cards and dice. And so the interesting thing is you get a double hand of cards, and then there's some dice that get rolled. And the dice get drafted. So you draft part of your hand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and um, But when you draft the dice, there's going to be one dice left over, right? Because Nisoku means leftover. And so that die does two things. It sets the trump suit. So the color of the die that's left that's not mm-hmm. drafted is the trump suit color and that number is trump so the the cards in your hands are always just one to six these are just regular d6 and so if it's a red three both threes and reds are trump and so like it it adds a little bit of a twist there and then when you're playing your hands for each trick you can either play one of the dice you drafted or one of the cards from your hand Mm -hmm. however your bid is the last dice you have in front of you. And that's how many tricks you must take. So (laughs) as you're playing stuff, you're playing cards and dice, but when you get down to your last dice, you're stuck. That's your bid. And so you have, like your hand's hidden. And so you don't know what people have that way, but the dice are visible, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? And so like it it combines dice and um, cards in an interesting way. And the fact that your bid is emergent like Mm -hmm. you don't pick your bid like you you draft whatever dice you want so you might want to draft one of each number as much as you can so you have some flexibility Mm and how many tricks you're going to win and then you get stuck with a certain die that's your your bid did you make it or not and i think it's one of the ones where your bid is not your bid or better it's your bid exactly you can't go over or under so it's it adds a little bit of complexity this is a this is a game from a little bit ago it's not brand new but it's super popular and, and, and things like that. There's another one that's called Schadenfreude, which is basically everything's the second highest. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's one of those ones where, like, the second highest card in the trick wins, and it's the second highest score at the end that wins. And so it's much more like a balancing act of, like, trying not to, you know, just get the most, right? A lot of, of trick takers are, like, get the most points you can as fast as you can. And so it's interesting to have one of those ones where, like, there's one of the bidding games if it's QE or one of the ones like that. And even some of the Kinesia um, bidding games have that where Like whoever spends it higher modern art, isn't it like that? Whoever spends the most money loses it. You have to yeah. spend the yep. second. You can't win if you spent the most money, right? So like you have to kind of balance that with what you're doing. So it, it's interesting to see these other ideas um, that we see in kind of Euro games and bidding games and these other things um, being applied uh, to trick taking to create some interesting experiences. So yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully those are some things if you haven't heard about them, like at least go watch a video on them. You don't have to go buy them or anything like that, but you know, watch a how to play or play through yeah. and, and just kind of like see what you can kind of like think of and, you know, what else is kind of out there. So
1: Yeah, there's just there's a lot. <laughs> there's a reason why trick takers are so ubiquitous, right? I mean, like <laughs> And I love that they're having a renaissance personally. I think that's great cuz I like them. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, so uh, hopefully that gave like at least a, a general sense on on some of the um, kinds of trick takers out there. Mm-hmm. You know the relationship to Shedders and climbers. And uh, you know like Trump, not Trump. Like I said, there's ones now that are must not follow. Um, we have to you know play something different. Um, you have those ones where the poison like hearts. You have points in the tricks versus the number of tricks. You have all this variation, and so you know, I think it's pretty easy to find one that kind of like resonates with, with, with you. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of space, um, to kind of like, you know, iterate on, uh, in this, uh, in this area. So hopefully
1: that was helpful for people. <laughs> I think it was a great, I think it was a great kind of deep dive in. I think it was awesome. So, so, yeah.
0: Um, I guess I'm going to pitch a game. That'd be awesome. um, so I'm actually going to pre-pitch something else. Um, so i just talk about, you know, historically, I've always thought, you know, if you would ask me a couple years ago, if I was ever going to design a trick taker, I would have said, well, that's dumb. Why would I design a trick taker when I could just play bridge? And although I kind of feel that way still, um, I've become wiser and older. And and the big thing is, what, what fun is it to like, just say, I would rather play bridge if I don't know anybody who knows how to play bridge, right? right, right. You know, it's just so unapproachable for most people in terms of investment of time that it's like, I'd rather do that. Right. But like, if no one else is going to do it, it's, it's like, I just want to play blindly online with some random person. You got to go to
1: some old folks home, man. You meet some people. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is most of the bridge clubs, the, the, the tournaments are like 10 AM. And unfortunately I'm usually at work then. So right. Kind of right. cuts in, cuts into that. I need to like win the lottery and retire so I can just go <laughs> to the professional bridge, bridge player.
1: Club.
0: Yeah. So, Taking that with a grain of salt. Um, you know, I, I recognize more clearly um, and I'm going to pitch a game in a second, that um, that's a real problem for bridge. And that's why mm-hmm. if you yeah. if you look at people playing bridge, there's very few people under 60. Um, definitely very few under 40 who are interested in taking the time to learn how to bid, right? Especially the bidding. The play isn't as hard to learn um, if you've played other trick takers. But the bidding is just it's onerous it really is so yeah, um agreed the i was thinking about that um i think that proto um uh, well just before proto atlanta this year and so back in the spring and i was like well what would a game that's like bridge but it's not bridge look like um mm-hmm. and so i had this idea i've since renamed it to double dummy and so that's what uh, i pitch.
1: And so I see my, the name my intent from. I understood that reference.
0: Yeah. So th- there's a mode. There's a mode in some bridge things where, like, if you, it's kind of a double. It's not a double entendre. It's a double meaning, double name. So um, there's a dummy in bridge, and in in bridge, um, one of the bids you can make is double, and double essentially means you you're calling BS on the other players, the other team. You're saying you're not going to make that contract. And so the, we we're going to double your points because we think you're going negative. And, um, but they can redouble back because they say, no, we really are going to do it. And then now you're talking essentially like four times the amount of points. Now, if you go positive or negative, obviously that's a huge swing in one hand. So uh, in Bridge, there is the ability to double and there is a dummy. Another thing in Bridge is, if you, especially if you watch any uh, kind of like people playing it or, or things like that, or if you use Bridge Base Online, which is one of the, the main places to play, um, you can get these plugins t- to kind of reevaluate your hand at the end of, uh, uh, of a certain hand. And the question that a lot of people ask is like, well, could I have made this contract? Like i bid bit four hearts. I didn't make it. I made three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically there's a mode where you can put it into what they call double dummy, which basically means you can see two people's hands. Okay.
1: And once yeah, you can see yeah. two
0: people's hands, it's basically essentially, essentially saying play face up. If everybody, right, if cause... you knew
1: everyone's
0: cards, Right. Again, we were talking about it being 50/50. So now, when you know where it's not, you know where it is, right? And so, if I knew where everybody's cards would, could I even make it then? So, like, obviously, that's not how you play bridge. But the question is, like, could I have gotten lucky and guessed <laughs> that it was in the right spot and that still made it then? Right, right, and right. Sometimes the answer's still no, and then you're just like, well, whatever, it didn't matter then. But if it did, <laughs> you're like, how could I figure that out? And then usually you couldn't have. But it doesn't matter. So there's this double dummy mode, which is basically just play face up. Could you have made it even then? So let's talk about what this game that I've de- um, uh, designed is. So uh, a couple of the BTGers have played it. Uh, Emily's been playing it with uh, with her partner and friends and has been enjoying it. I, I think Maya played it with uh, her family. It didn't go as well. But um, I've played it in <laughs> other, other places. And I'm really happy with where it's at. I think it's uh, pretty solid. So um, it is a bidding game. Um, it is meant to capture some of the um, complexities of bridge without the bidding system, right? So I promise the bidding takes about you know one minute to learn, not forty hours. Um, <laughs> so it plays forty
1: hours, Roscoe.
0: I know, right? So it plays two to four, um, and then it's four suits, and the number of uh, the numbers of the deck uh, vary based on number of players, right? So if it's if it's a two-player game, it's one to nine. If it's three-player, it's one to 12. And if it's 4 players, it's one to 15. Uh, so fairly simple deck, just four colors. We'll just talk about you know, like a three-player game. So it's one to 12. Um, you'll stuff up all the cards, and you'll deal 12 cards to every person, and 12 cards to a dummy. Mm-hmm. So they're just put in a pile. And then players will bid. And when they – or I shouldn't say – they won't bid. They'll declare. They're so essentially, like, you would euchre a little bit, you're going to declare Trump but it's one time around and you must declare higher, right? So you're saying, um, I'm going to take one trick and this is where the double comes in, two tricks, four tricks, or eight tricks. Those are the only things you're allowed to bid. Um, Either of one of the colored suits, like um, that's one thing I I missed before What I will mention it here. Um, They're just four different colors or no trump. So no trump's another thing that exists in bridge, which doesn't exist in a lot of other uh, trick takers. Um but essentially you're bidding that there will not be a trump suit. So you're just saying okay. there's no trump suit. There's if you don't lead, if you don't follow what's led, you lose. Doesn't matter. Um so the two of spades is the best card if there's no trump. Um if that's what was led. So in uh in double dummy, you bid one of a color, one no trump, or two of a color, two no trump, four of a color, four no trump, or eight of a color, eight no trump. That's it. Those are the only bids. And you can go around one time, you either pass or you bid higher than what's already been bid. If no one bids, the dealer must bid. So when you bid, you're picking the Trump and you're bidding, right? Like you said before, mm-hmm. like if you had this great hands and you of clubs. So in this case, the colors are just like teal or whatever. I think I'm going to take four tricks in teal. And so what makes it interesting is because all the bids are double the previous bid, um, you don't have that flexibility to bid five or six or seven. You're like, well, I definitely could make five. And it's like, okay, but can you make exactly four? So in this game, your bid, you must meet exactly. If you get your bid exactly, you get positive points. If you lose, you lose 50 points per trick, um, just as an example. Okay. So if you bid four teal, that's 400. If you make five, that would be minus 50 because you went one over. If you make three, it'd be minus 50 because you went one under. So once, once we've declared the Trump suit, somebody picked it. Um, Then, before all the other players bid, then what we'll do is actually divide up the cards that belong to Dummy. And uh, so in a three-player game, we each get four of them. So you get to take those four cards, and you'll look at them, and you'll see what they they are. Uh, And then you'll put them in piles according to the suits of the four colors. So they go back down, face down. So you know four of the 12 cards in this case. Once everyone's done that, you will take those piles and shuffle them. So the dummy will always be able to follow suit um, or Trump uh, because all the cards have been separated. And we all know a portion of those cards, kind of a little bit like in Bridge, where Mm -hmm. you see some of the cards and not the other ones. So once we're done with that, um, then we'll finish the bidding phase. And that's just everyone else who hasn't bid yet, who hasn't declared, they have to bid now that they know that Trump is Teal. I bid for Teal. So, you just had Jason bids two, somebody else bids four, whatever. Again, there's always twelve tricks in this game. So once we've bid, there's an advanced phase, which I recommend people don't play at first until they've learned the game <laughs> where where you can double. So one thing I didn't say is when you declare, you automatically double yourself, which means your points are always double positive or double negative. All right? so this this is not a partnership game. This is a one versus many you're trying to make sure the declarer does not make their contract while also making errors. And everyone has that same goal. We want the declarer okay. to go high or low, but I want to make mine. Right. So in a three player game, that's two of us. And we have this dummy hand that we can leverage because we see how many cards they have of each suit right. to kind of make that happen. So um, the declare, I bid four teal, so I'm already doubled. So we go where i one, one last time before we start the tricks, which are very standard tricks. Um, and we can double. And so the way the doubling works is, let's say Jason was to the left the dealer. So he goes first. He can double anyone. And he's basically saying, you're not going to make that contract exactly. And so they have a doubling cube in front of them that they flip to the next double number. However, when you double someone else, you also double yourself. <laughs> so it's a risk reward thing. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, I don't think you're going to make it. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. Right, right. So Jason could think, I have all these great teal cards. I have the 12 and the 11 and the 10. Like, how does he think he's going to make four four tricks in teal? He's not going to do it. I'm going to double him. So in this case, since I was already the declarer, my cube starts at two, he would double me to four. So now my points this hand are going to be four times whatever I get, either positive or negative. Right. And Jason's would be double. Now the next person could also double themselves and me, or they could double Jason, right? So you can kind of like, attack each other a little bit if somebody's mm-hmm. ahead in the score things like that but like it could get up to you know it goes from four to eight to 16 to 32 that's what's on the dice these <laughs> doubling cubes so it can get quite high yeah. but again to double someone else you must double yourself and so I, I say i was last i was a dealer in this case i can also double back right so everybody just gets one chance it just goes around once it's not nicked in so but until you understand the game that's like bidding on a lot of stuff, right? Like it, it, the first time, like you're just not going to understand whether you should be doubling or not. But I'm hoping that that, that creates a space for um, exploration in terms of, of play and evaluating hands and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And so one of the things that I'll just end up running a little bit long, but the one thing that I think is really interesting about this game is that um, it's pretty obvious that the high cards are good, right? You have a lot of Trump, you have, right, right. you know, again, in the free player game, you have one to 12 in each suit. So the twelves are good, the elevens and tens, and people like in a lot of games they're like, "Oh, I got this one and a two and a 3. and you think they're awful, but actually in this game ones and twos and threes are great, because the thing they let you do is they let you give the lead to somebody else. So I play a one in a suit, someone else is going to win it, like in, early in the game.
1: Right. That's a good point. They're yeah. gonna
0: they are gonna win a trick that they don't want to win, right? And they're gonna not have the amount you know they're trying to get their bid exactly. And so it's not like where you just check the bet, the more, the better you must get your bid exactly. So they're going to end up winning tricks that they don't want to win. And additionally, the cards in the middle, like six and seven, five, eight, after a number of tricks have been played, those cards are super dangerous. Right. The next right. Thing, uh, next thing you know, you're winning a trick with an eight and you're like, how am I winning with an eight? Like, <laughs> and next thing you know, you're, you're not making your contract. So it's, it's a very right, interesting right. mix. You have to constantly battle kind of between like thinking like in bridge and thinking like in hearts where you're trying to ditch stuff. Like a lot of times mm-hmm. somebody like if they run out of something, they won't trump. They'll discard their 12 of something else because they like, I can't win any more tricks. Like I got to right, get rid of Right. right. So you see them throwing off these other cards instead of trumping, just trying to ditch their winners because they're yeah. going to have too many winners and they're going to go negative. Oh, that's and fun. so it's a really yeah. great fun balance of like staying on the gas and the brake at the same time. And I really been enjoying it, and uh, most people are playing with it have too. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm interested to see uh, see when I can get it published. But uh, it's been yeah, a lot of fun. I
1: definitely want to try that. I like the idea of the high and low cards being valuable. That's something that I did in Into the Black Forest, where like I wanted the highest cards and the lowest cards to be just as valuable as the other ones. Right. Um, that said. Um, in my game the middle cards are are just not good like you know what i mean like they're just where in your game they're dangerous and i love that that you're like oh crap i because in my game you always want to win the trick right like that's the goal you right, always want right, to win right. one as many of the tricks as you can um so yeah that is uh i love that <laughs> no i want to try yeah, this that... this sounds right up my alley of what my family and i would play so what is the player count three? is it 3 plus no it's 2 to 4 two so to four, that's the okay. whole thing
0: yeah, so initially I didn't have the dummy in except in the two-player game. Um, and then I kind of like changed it and said, I think this is the more interesting thing of this game is that there always is a dummy. So like right, initially right. I thought of it as three to five with a two-player variant. And so now I'm thinking of it as two to four, and there's always a dummy. Cool, cool. So, yeah,
1: my family will so, have to try that because that's the exact – I mean, I get my mom to play that with us. That's exactly the type of game we would we would be super into, so – yeah, it's interesting.
0: Just on one last segue, you just something I forgot to mention before, yeah. so I'll just bring it up now as a catch-all. Like you said, like having low cards be valuable. So that's one of the other big variants we're seeing today in these new trick takers um, is that um, whoever plays the lowest card, there's some other thing they get. So right, whoever right. wins a trick still wins a trick, but the lowest card like gets some other bonus or some yep. other card or yep. some other thing. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that where we're starting to mess with the trick and the highest and lowest all being different things, right? It used mm-hmm. to be like, you win the trick, you get it, that's it, you're done. And so we're seeing separation and, and bifurcation of those pieces where like these other things could have meaning as well. So like sometimes you right. want to lose a trick and lose it the worst kind of thing. So. Right. Um, I forgot to mention before.
1: Yeah, no, and that, not to just keep bringing up my own game too, but like one of the things I tried to do in Into the Black Forest to make it feel different with that was that, If you lose a trick, you get your card back, right? So like if a 12 is the best card you can play and you play an 11 and they play a 12. And so now they beat you with the 12. You've lost what may have been the best card in your hand, but instead because they won, you get it back and they lose their card. Um, And I really like that because um, it means that the, the, it it kind of self balances and that like, in the next round, I now have more cards than you. Like I have better cards in theory than you do because you've spent your good cards. So I can try to catch up, you know. And I, I think variations like that are a lot of fun to make. Um, just make it work a little bit different uh, than we would expect. So yeah, this was a fun combo.
0: Yeah, I have to check out that your your Black Forest game. Oh, you I've not played, played that? Now.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I'll uh, I've got copies. I'll send you one. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, awesome and uh yeah well hey listeners i hope you really enjoyed this uh fun conversation about trick takers Uh, a lot of references to the 1700s early on so um (laughs) (laughs) but it just it speaks to how long these games have been around and i think that's super cool um and uh i thought i knew a ton about trick takers and i still felt like i walked away with some extra information that i didn't know that i think is super interesting so um, so thank you Roscoe for imparting that to us and, uh, discussing it. And I definitely want to play double dummy as soon as I can. Yep. Um, listeners, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can go to building the com. There you can find a link to our discord, uh, hang out with Roscoe and I and a bunch of other cool people. Um, you can also email us at building the at gmail dot you could probably find us on the Twitter, but I think I'm going to stop plugging that because I've stopped tweeting about uh, the show and everything. And I don't think we're long for this world. So, uh, Roscoe, I don't know. Are you still doing much with Twitter? Yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I'm I mean, I'm still friends. on Twitter. I'm not going to delete my yeah. account. I'm going to take up space. But I I just haven't been, I don't know. I just haven't been motivated to go out there and share things because that. I so many people we know are just like leaving <laughs> You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I
0: don't think there's there's anything better in terms of, like, connectivity yet. So, right. I, I think Unless it's, like, we you have join to our Discord. F- yeah. So, like, we the Discord, but, like, till Blue Sky or Mastodon, all these other things get figured out, it's just right, kind of, like, right. I, I don't want to have six more things. So, like, right. once yeah. it settles, then I'll switch. But, like, right, I'm not i right, right. trying in the mall. <laughs>
1: right. Well, Roscoe is still at Roscoe Shock. And, of course, you can find us out there, too. But um i'm not really active anymore um and i don't know about the regular hosts of the podcast uh if they are either i knew jamie deleted all of their stuff but uh yeah yeah it's um all right well of course the best thing you can do this is the ending part i almost forgot you can come back every single week but until next time good night good night good the game. Building the game, which isn't in friends, which
0: isn't in friends. Building the game, building the game, which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. The end of the episode, that's
1: when it technically ends.